Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hi. You're a Jedi too? Pleased to meet you. You seem a little on edge. Not at all. I haven't felt you this tense since, since we fell into that nest of gumdarks. <laughs> you fell into that nightmare, Master, and I rescued you, remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> You're sweating. Relax. Take a deep breath. Master. I've disappointed you. I haven't been very appreciative of your training. I've been arrogant, and I apologize. I've just been so frustrated with the Council. You are strong and wise, Anakin, and I am very proud of you. I have trained you since you were a small boy. I have taught you everything I know. And you have become a far greater Jedi than I could ever hope to be. But be patient, Anakin. It will not be long before the Council makes you a Jedi Master. Obi-Wan, may the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 469, Why We Love the Prequels. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Jar Jar Binks, we've got Carl LeClaire. <laughs> the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. Now get out of here. No, no, Misa, stay. Misa called Jar Jar Binks. Misa, your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. It is demanded by the guards of tea. Oh, no! Jar Jar, get down. <laughs> Tell me why you love the prequels. Ah, uh, oh, mm, it's a long hotel, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness, Jason, I am so excited. This is a huge week for Star Wars fandom. We've got, we are, as we record, sitting on just three days away from the premiere of Kenobi. We are just two days away from Star Wars Celebration, which sadly neither of us will be at this year. But also just three days away from your awesome experience at Phoenix Comic Con. Um, so lots of big things going on this this coming week. Um, it, uh, Jason, I have been just blown away with joy with all the Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen press tour stuff. And I was just like, Ugh. what are we going to talk about this week? It was, and it, we were going back and forth like, ah, oh, we can just talk about what, we, what we're looking forward to with Kenobi or what we might want out of Celebration. And I was like, you know what? Everybody's loving on the prequels right now because of these press tours with Hayden and Ewan. Let's just talk about why we love the prequels. Yes, absolutely. And I I went, no, I don't think so, um, because I don't actually like the prequels at all. Uh, and then Carl um, force choked me through the screen and <laughs> I s- snapped back out of it, you know, and, and I'm back to normal. So... Uh, <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, whether you are a longtime listener of the show or a new listener, if you're a new listener, welcome. We're glad you found us and we hope you have fun. Um, but uh, for any of you who've been here for any amount of time, you know how much Jason and I are diehard fans of the prequels. Um, so and I know like many of you that listen to us are as well. And I'm sure you're sharing that same level of elation as the Kenobi premiere inches ever closer to us this week. So we just thought it'd be like you said, we thought it'd be fun to just sit down and talk about some of the the big concepts and the big things out of the prequels that the two of us really enjoy. Um, and hopefully it'll just get you reminiscent a bit more about what you love about the, the beloved episodes one through three. Um, so I'm excited to, I'm excited to talk about this, Jason. I'm really excited too. I uh, very, very eager to do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. Um, before just real quick, before we dive into it. I uh, just wanted to this just for my own sake. Um, anybody that follows our our Instagram has probably noticed I've been posting a lot about how I've been reading a curated list of the new Jedi Order series, which of course ran from 1999 to I think it wrapped in 2005. Um, a 19 series sounds about right. Yeah, it's 19 book series. Um, I read six of them, <laughs> and I thought that was adequate, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, I have a friend who read all 19 books. Less than a year ago, he's going to join me in a couple of weeks and we're going to have a deep dive conversation about the new Jedi Order. So if any of you are listening that are big Star Wars Legends fans, uh, I encourage you to check that out in a couple of weeks. Ah, yes. And I'm looking forward to hearing about it. I read, I don't know, probably about a dozen or so of the new Jedi Order books when they were coming out um, or shortly thereafter um, and not. Not always in the right order either, but I got enough of the story to get a, an idea of what was going on in the New Jedi Order. And there's still some memorable moments from that book series that I remember to this day. So um, there's some good stuff in there and some very interesting things. Kind of weird stuff, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I'm excited to have that conversation with my friend in a couple of weeks. Um, but of course, before I ever... Before we ever bring up any of that, Jason and I, of course, will be back here next week talking about those first two episodes of Kenobi we're getting. So, yes, hopefully you'll come back for that as well. Yeah. And then hopefully, you know, look out for some bonus episodes in the next coming weeks, because I as long as the audio comes out good, we'll have the panels that uh, myself, Joey Letson and Kyle Avery, uh, Kyle Baca, our friend, um, will be doing. Uh, from Phoenix Fan Fest this weekend. So that is, uh, fingers crossed, the audio works out, and we'll have at least uh, well, a couple panels for you uh, as bonus episodes in the next coming weeks. Excellent. Jason, the Star Wars yes, Carl. prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. A time like no other in this galaxy. It really, really wasn't like anything else. Uh <laughs> Even in our own galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) So Phantom Menace came out in 1999. I was, as of May of 99, 13 years old. You were what, nine? Uh, Ten. I was turning ten. Okay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because your birthday is right at the the start of the month. So you're right around... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right around the time yeah. as as of so many of the Star Wars movies. Um, yes, but uh, yeah, such a such a precious innocent time, 
And, you know, oh, my goodness. Jason, when I just think back on the prequel trilogy, the first thing that stands out to me, and I have a feeling you'll you'll have something to say about this, is just the world building. The mm, prequels yes. expanded the galaxy far, far away so brilliantly, right? This was the the galaxy in the original trilogy was really neat, something new and exciting for the 70s and 80s. Um, but the prequel trilogy just opened that world up in such a huge way. Um, most notably, I mean, again, because of the technology available to George and him able to kind of create all these worlds he had been dreaming of and imagining, we get to go to so many, you know, rich worlds that it just made the galaxy feel so big. It really did. And, you know, the the good news is is that the difference between the world building from the original trilogy and the world building from the prequel trilogy is that it makes story sense. Mm-hmm. Um because in the original trilogy, all these are all like battles fought in far flung, you know, little traveled areas uh in order to, you know, for the safety of the rebellion and that sort of thing. In the prequels, we jump right smack dab into the capital planet, not capital city, capital planet of the Galactic Republic. And so because we land smack dab in the middle of the galaxy, we just get to see so much of it expanding around us. And, you know, throughout the prequels, we travel to, I I don't know, I think it's, you know, we get at least glimpses of upwards of a dozen or so planets uh, throughout the entire prequel trilogy, which mm. is insane. Um, so and I'm thinking, you know, including like order 66, we get, right. I don't know. I, I would, I would imagine it's probably, you know, getting close to 20 different planets that we see across the three uh, movies. So I'd have yeah. to count. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about 20, but we definitely get a good amount mainly because of the, the, uh, order 66 montage in, in episode mm-hmm. three. But in the other thing too, though, that I think is so rich about the worlds we go to, and this isn't true of all of them, obviously, right? Some of the, again, that montage in episode three, it's not like we're staying on any of those planets particularly long. Um, mm-hmm. But the, you know, it's especially the planets that our heroes go to in episodes one through three, we really get a sense of the culture and the worlds there. You know I mean? I, I I still would love a story that takes place in Otto Gunga. You know, I mean, we get this really rich culture of the, of the, the Gungans it, coupled with the rich culture of the Naboo, um, which does get explored a bit more. Um, you know, I mean, we, we even get, we get a whole new side of tattooing. Um, yep. We get, you know, we get the Kaminoans, we get the Utapauans. Um, we get so much like rich stuff in this, yeah. in this galaxy that is just, it's just so much food for thought. And the the prequel trilogy also does a great job of opening up big questions, most notably the Clone Wars itself. Who is this Sypha Dyas character? Who really made the Clone mm. Army? What's behind all this, right? Like episode two really, I think episode two especially opens the world the most. Um, I would agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, it left you asking all these big questions and, I like that, you know, obviously we've had a lot of ancillary materials in the last 20 years, um, be it from the Clone Wars TV series to, to novels and comics and video games. Um, but there's still, to me, there is a little bit of an open-endedness to some of those questions still. Um, 
Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's part of the brilliance of Star Wars is that it, it, not all questions have a finite or, or definite answer. Uh, and not all, you know, worlds have a, have a definite view to them from what we've seen. Uh, because everything's so big and fluid and it keeps, you know, evolving or changing or has other aspects that just weren't focused on in the movies. And, uh, when you make a, a galaxy as big as the Star Wars universe is, uh, there's going to be a multitude of things that, you know, are opportunities for branching stories later on. Yeah. Yeah. And right. So something, the, the prequels, especially as they were, they came out, fell under a lot of criticism for from the critics um, was of course, how much CGI there is. But when you look back on it, I mean, there, there are definitely spots I would say in all three of the movies where today, yeah, the CGI doesn't hold up quite as well, but hello, watch mm-hmm. the asteroid field chase. You can see potatoes in the background. <laughs> like it, <laughs> Those, those aren't perfect either. Right. And it's okay because we've learned to suspend the disbelief because we're so invested in the story. Um, mm-hmm. I think critics often forget that, that notion of suspending disbelief, but um, you know, all that to say, that technology though really allowed this world building to happen. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think because George was so adamant on pushing those envelopes, um, we wouldn't have the Marvel cinematic universe without George Lucas. I, there's no question about it. Um, I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. Wouldn't have Lord of the Rings. I mean, I'm not a fan, but you wouldn't have those movies. You wouldn't have Harry Potter. Um, I mean, all those things were dependent upon the prequel trilogy. George forged the way. And because he was willing to take those risks, he created these extremely vibrant worlds um, that we got to imagine ourselves in and and play around in. Yeah, which I, I have spent many, many, many a day, week, month, year, um, playing in those worlds and, and imagining myself going through those, those worlds and, and all that stuff. It, it's, it has been the prequel trilogy itself, star Wars in general, but the prequel trilogy in particular is been probably the biggest boon to my imagination in my life. Mm. Um, because, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, Star Wars just expanded my my horizons in a big way when the special editions came out. I, you know, I finally realized that there were things outside of my own world um, at that point. And then the prequels came along, and it just exploded into infinity and beyond. To quote another franchise, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so the world building of the prequels is really what did that for me. Um, that and couple of other things uh in particular carl i'm going to move us into the jedi order Mm. um because this is one of my favorite aspects of the prequels because the jedi and the force is one of my favorite things in star wars and the prequels gave us the most the highest concentration of jedi on screen that we had gotten to date and still have gotten to date so uh and Learning about all the different characters' names, you know, looking at all their different, the the different types of lightsabers that they all have, that sort of thing was, 
I would spend hours and hours and hours just absorbing all of this information for characters that were on screen less than a minute, um, as we all do. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, the Jedi Order, uh, getting to see how it's set up, how it's organized with the Jedi Council, getting to see Yoda heavily involved um, throughout the prequels uh, was just a really exciting thing for me. Uh, and of course, as a 10-year-old sitting in the seats for The Phantom Menace, watching Anakin and Obi-Wan, or excuse me, uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon cut down battle droids on the Trade Federation control ship at the beginning of The Phantom Menace just made me go, oh, these are really cool people. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the Jedi Order, big factor for me uh, as to why I like the prequels. Yeah, I Love. mean... I'll piggyback right off that because, uh, yeah, just like you, I mean, the Jedi and the Force is is, those are my favorite elements of Star Wars, uh, that spiritual philosophical side. And um, yeah, I mean, same thing, you know, 20 odd years ago when I was experiencing them for the first time, it was just that that wonder of seeing so many Jedi on screen. Um, And like you said, you know, getting to see how they're organized, getting to see Yoda at the head of the order. Um, it was just amazing. And, uh, they, they just, they seemed unstoppable. I mean, when I, I, I feel like I was Anakin Skywalker from episode one saying no one can kill a Jedi, right? Like, <laughs> right. Uh, and, and there's that hard sentiment in episode one and then episode two, we see them getting gunned down in the arena. Like that's just mm-hmm. not true. Um, yeah. And, and even, you know, so, and what I've come to appreciate, you know, now about the way the Jedi exist in the prequel trilogy is the fact that like much like a couple main elements of the prequel trilogy, they're, they're warning tales in the sense of this is, this is how you're not supposed to do it. And, and I, you know, I kind of appreciate that a lot that, um, you know, in, in the original trilogy, George created the Jedi and the force as this kind of spiritual reality, trying to speak to the fact that, where we were a culture at that period that was starving for fairy tales, spirituality of some kind. And now, you know, he told that story how we need it, but then he kind of goes back and critiques what can happen that goes wrong with those things. And essentially it's when they become so dogmatic that they forget the will of the force. So I really, I mean, when I say I like it, I don't, I don't like that. That's what happens, but I appreciate what George was doing by kind of, you know, telling that, that version of, you know, here's the Jedi. They're they're all over the galaxy, and they're this great order. However, they're they're falling away from themselves because of this overly dogmatic institutionalization of the Force. Um, and I just thought that was brilliant that that George was willing to make that statement. Um, because again, every time these these movies come out, they are trying to speak to our world, and I think the world that existed in the the late nineties, early two thousands was a world that was in heavy conflict with the idea of religion. And George isn't critiquing its existence. He's critiquing how it can be uh, misconstrued and, and taken advantage of. Um, That's the whole thing of the clone war is, is, is drawing the peacekeepers into a war. They fail. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, one of the, one of the little things that I, I wish we had a little bit more of in the prequel trilogy was a little bit more of the philosophical force side of the Jedi. Um, but again, the reason that we don't is on purpose, 
you know, and, right. and I really uh, again, like I really like that again. I would have preferred the alternative, but he's pointing out why they go wrong, you know, and, and how they're set up for that failure. Yeah. And and I do like it because there is still it it seems um, it, it's at least inferred that there's still a difference between uh, the the path the Jedi Order as a whole, as an as an organization is making and the mistakes it's making and the individuals that are still doing the right thing and trying to follow the will of the force, for example, in particular, Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, Mm -hmm. and then later on, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, and Yoda to some extent. Um, but it, it definitely, uh, still gives us the nuances of, of the order and the people involved in it. Um, which, which is one thing that I really do appreciate. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> as I was kind of like jotting down my thoughts earlier today, something I wrote down kind of initially was just the sense of fun and innocence that exists in the prequels. And I would say that that's true for like a little over half of the prequel trilogy, right? I mean, I would say that's that's yeah. very that's a very consistent theme through episode one. It's there in parts of episode two, but episode three, it, it ceases to exist. <laughs> and again, right. intentionally so. Um, but I, I almost feel like kind of taking this back to the first point we were talking about, which is just that, that sense of world building that, that the sense that there was such new rich worlds to build out. There's an excitement in that. They're just really fun. Like when I throw on a prequel movie and most specifically that's episodes one and two for me. Um, I just I just kind of get lost in the fun and the adventure of it, right? Whether you're you're chasing Zam Wessel through the skyline of Coruscant <laughs> or hopping in a pod for a pod race, like there's just so many fun adventure action pieces to these movies and these really alien worlds. Um and mm-hmm. I, I say this as a point of comparison, not as a degradation, but I would say the one of the biggest pitfalls of the pre or excuse me, of the sequel trilogy is to me, for the most part, most of the worlds are relatively unimaginative um, because they have to be filmed in a real place, uh, which was maddening. Uh, and then you go to the prequels and you have these really fantastical worlds that feel like that Star Wars galaxy. And that's, um, again, like probably because we were kids, Jason, when the prequels came out. So that kind of became a, a prominent part of our Star Wars language. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I, this is not me trying to open the door for sequel eight. Uh, I just the prequels really had such imaginative worlds that they were so fun to play in. Um, yeah, the the prequels really are, uh, you know, a an imaginative uh, looking at at the Star Wars universe with new imagination and new eyes. It's from a new angle. It's it's not necessarily it's it's not in any way. Uh, doing away with what the original trilogy brought us, but it is just taking that and going, but what if we turn the camera around? What was it like if we turn the camera around and rewound this about 30 or 40 years, you know, what happened before things went bad? Mm -hmm. And, and that's really kind of the imagination and it is, you know, very opulent. And I've made the comparison before. Uh, It's like the Roman empire, before it fell, which is just, you know, opulent and grand and, and all sorts of things. People are just, you know, living, you know, unreserved lives. 
and then it all falls and you know that sort of thing um which is similar to what happens with the you know galactic republic uh mm-hmm. and the empire takes over from there but yeah the the imagination the fun of the phantom menace in particular uh really kind of sets a a tone uh that then shifts over the course of the three movies and it is a deliberate shift and that that tone from innocent and fun all the way to tragedy and sorrow at the end of revenge of the sith is a very uh very interesting arc that we are taken on throughout the whole trilogy um and one that i think they pulled off pretty well for the most part so uh, because not only is it a tragedy for the galaxy as a whole but it's tragedy for each of the characters that we've gotten involved with throughout uh this whole uh trilogy so Mm -hmm. yeah and that leads me to another the next point i want to make but before i do i just kind of wrapping up my thought around this and and thinking of I like that you used the word opulent. I <laughs> think that's like a perfect word to describe the the the, the setting of the prequel uh, locations. Um, just think of how colorful the prequels are, right? From the costumes to the worlds, mm-hmm. right? There's there's just such vibrant color to them. And you think of the original trilogy, the Imperials, like everything is just black, white, or gray. Um, and even the Rebels, everything's dirty and and kind of gross and and from the dirt which again that all has intention too but i just like Mm -hmm. you're saying jason right like we're rewinding it now what was it like before everything fell apart and there Mm -hmm. is just this beauty and this richness and this diversity of colors and textures uh i mean that's that's the prequels and i I love that world here's here's the one of the most stark differences that you know when you go from the, the glory and the opulence of the Republic and the prequels to the industrial dinge of the mm. original trilogy. It's the difference between the N1 Starfighter mm. and the X-Wing. Oh, yeah. The what? N1 Starfighter and the X-Wing. They function, they have the same exact function in the movies, but they are so very, very different mm. uh, in the way that they look and feel. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the difference between the two in a nutshell. Yeah. That's such a, what a per you're, y'all. I wish you could see Jason right now. He's so proud of this comparison. He's beaming. I, it, it, it hit me like two minutes ago. So. <laughs> no, it's, per, but that's, that is so perfect, right? Like the X wing is just this kind of utilitarian device of, of war and resistance. Whereas the N one starfighter is more for shows and parades. And yeah, it's got a little laser cannon on it, but ultimately it's there to impress and be, it's a work of art really, right? It's these mm-hmm. streamlined, uh, you know, like curves to it. I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous piece of machinery in comparison to mm-hmm. the X wing. Um, Jason, would you rather fly an N1 or an X-Wing? Oh, N1 for sure. Like, <laughs> uh, that's, that's my ship. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, just get R2 in the back and I'm good to go. <laughs> I figured you'd say as much. <laughs> oh, Although uh, it would be a harder decision if you asked N1 or Y-Wing. Uh, because okay. I think the Y-Wing is actually my wow. favorite uh, Rebel ship. So. 
it's more similar looking if you think about it to the N1. It is, the and the reason is the Y wing is old. It's very <laughs> old, as we see, yeah. because uh, it's it's in the Clone Wars. So right. <laughs> the That's original, true. yeah, yeah. Oh, good point. Um, yeah, there is. Yeah, and I and I just love that. Uh, again, not to not to make this like down with the critics, but right, the critics were like, "Why is everything so pristine?" And look, the technology looks so much better. It's like, well, first off. CGI is much better than it was in 1983. Um, yep. But secondly, it's the world before the fall. I mean, it, in a lot of ways, the prequel trilogy, especially, I mean, episode one is the Garden of Eden story in a lot of ways, right? It's it's yeah. it's the idyllic world that that exists before it is corrupted, um, and and that's that's where you get those that that richness of color. Um, but to, to kind of move into a, the, uh, another element of the prequels that I really do love, and, and I know you kind of hinted at this, and I'm sure you'll say more, uh, right? George always said that the, the prequel trilogy is kind of shaped like a Shakespearean tragedy, um, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the entire prequel trilogy. We knew that going in. We know how it ends. Um, the thing we didn't know is how we got there, right? We did not know how Anakin becomes Vader. And um, I've seen this clip shared a lot in the last just couple of weeks on, on Instagram reels, but it's this clip of George Lucas talking about, and I, I'm an idiot. I should have grabbed this so I could have played it quick on the show, but it's George essentially saying that he goes, you know, oh, a lot of people were really upset with what I did with the prequels because they thought Anakin was going to become Darth Vader by the end of episode one. And then it's just Darth Vader killing people for two movies. And he's like, that's not the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell the story of how a good person falls and tell that in the context of how a good how a good society falls into one of tyranny um right so right anakin's story is the microcosm of the macro story of the republic and Mm -hmm. and this is what i love about the prequels is specifically the tragedy of anakin skywalker um and the 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 main element i particularly loved in episode three is because it's where we get it in its fullness but is Anakin ultimately falls because of his love for somebody, right? It's the most human thing um, to, to, to be deeply in love and being afraid of losing the people you love. I mean, there's nothing more human than that. So I love that that's the story George gave us with the prequels. I love that that's the story of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great story, you know, because it is a pure and and very raw thing that comes from Anakin. Anakin is a, a someone who moves off of pure instinct and feeling, uh, you know, and, and raw emotion that, that is Anakin and how he processes things and the love that he has for Padme and to a lesser extent, Obi-Wan and, uh, is a very genuine and, uh, in a sense, pure thing. However, that purity, that purity, uh, and the, the fiery motivation that pushes it forward, uh, in, in the brashness of Anakin Skywalker gets tweaked and twisted and manipulated, uh, bit by bit by Palpatine. And when, you know, when that pure that love gets manipulated and turned just enough off that it starts making Anakin make decisions that serve himself 
the very end uh, more than the people he loves. And that's really the tragedy. Mm. Um, because the love becomes a way to, you know, yes, he wants to protect them, but he wants to protect them so that he feels good and happy and complete. Um, and, and that sense of power that comes with being able to do that is what Palpatine twisted um, and blew up for Anakin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when he goes from this young boy, you know, going, I saw your laser sword, only Jedi carry weapons like that, you know, uh, to yelling, I hate you on the banks of the Mustafar river. It it's, you almost question if you just know those two moments, you almost question how it's possible to get from one to the other, but we see that it really is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, and, and that's, you know, that's something George has, has argued since the day that the prequel trilogy wrapped is that, you know, the problem with Anakin isn't that he wants to, it's not so much like the, the desire to save people is a good thing. It's, it makes sense to want to keep people around, but right. He's always indicating that for Anakin, it becomes this kind of, this power grab of like he needs them there as a way of controlling his his future, um, and I've mm-hmm. uh, weirdly though I've always kind of taken issue with that, um, in the sense that like I, I think that's a little overly harsh. Um, the scene in Episode Three, right when Anakin has had that his first vision of of Padme dying during childbirth, and he goes to Yoda, and Yoda just gives him this very apathetic "let things pass away" speech. And uh, I mean, I love that scene in the the Matthew Stover novel of of the novel of the movie because you know as Anakin leaves the room, he leaves frustrated that it's like, wow, all Yoda can offer me is this stupid, apathetic Jedi code jargon that isn't human, that's not real, and that's exactly how I feel. I feel with Anakin so hard in that moment. Um, and again, like I, I love this element within the prequels of Anakin as this chosen one being frustrated by this dogmatic order this this institutional way of being a jedi limits even the chosen one um so in a weird way i've always kind of felt more for anakin than uh, than i think even george intended because um <laughs> the thing is is what anakin needs anakin needs a grounding sense of belonging um, and when he loses his mother, he's kind of wallowing, trying to make sense of that. And Padme becomes that, but he never has anybody to show him how to find that in himself, right? Like, because again, he's living in the Jedi order and he's living under Obi-Wan, the, the premier Jedi, where always what they're saying is, how do you become settled in yourself? Well, you let yourself go. And it's like, well, what the hell does that even mean? You, you know, who are you? So like, it's, 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 I love that frustrated part of Anakin's story too. Um, and this idea yeah. of him as the chosen one, you know, I think in the original trilogy, there is no indication that there was anything exceptionally special about Anakin Skywalker, right? He was just a Jedi that fell to the dark side and, and helped the emperor eradicate the Jedi. And then George kind of takes that and puts it on steroids, <laughs> you know, for the prequel trilogy. <laughs> and it's not only was he just a special Jedi who was friends with Ben Kenobi, but no, 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 no. In fact, he was born of a virgin and is the chosen one, right? Like, and, and conceived by these midi-chlorians, right? Like, he, bl- he takes 
what was just kind of like a fairy tale story and makes it this mythic religious story almost right with episode one. Um, and, and, and I, and I, I overall love that. And there's, there's still sometimes where I'm like, I wish he had just made Anakin just a, a, a good Jedi who fell. Um, but by, but by creating the sense that he is this chosen one, um, it's really, really fascinating to see that the Jedi who are supposed to be the kind of protectors of prophecy just don't know what to do with it, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and therefore well, Anakin doesn't know what to do with it. Right, right. And and that's the thing, is that while Anakin has always, you know, wanted to be a Jedi, that's his dream is from a kid was to become a Jedi Knight so he can come back to Tatooine and free all the slaves. Uh you know, the where Anakin is, um, and where the Jedi Order is uh at this point in time do not mesh on a philosophical level. Um, you know, it's always Anakin is a square peg in a round hole. You know, every single time. You know, he he follows the code. You know, he he does his best, but the code has become more important at this point uh, than the will of the Force itself, which is why Qui Gon was an exception. Uh, as we, you know, learn, he, he's a maverick. He's he's not normal <laughs> among <laughs> Jedi. Um, and and Anakin doesn't mesh with the Jedi Order of this era. Not necessarily the Jedi Knights of this era, because I'm, there are some that you know I'm sure he's gets along just fine with, and some that would probably even sympathize uh, with him and his plight, but. The order as a whole doesn't match up with what Anakin is, who he is, and what he needs. Um, and, you know, that scene that you brought up of Yoda telling Anakin to let go mm-hmm. of everything you fear to lose, I always get the impression that, that Yoda uh, is... is thinking that Anakin is talking about Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And Obi-Wan is a Jedi. Obi-Wan trusts in the Force. Uh, so if Obi-Wan trusts in the Force and believes in the Force and is willing to let go, then you need to be able to let go, let him go too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, Anakin can't tell Yoda what's really the problem. And so it's like ships passing in the night. Anakin's coming to him for a problem he can't talk about, and Yoda's giving him advice for a problem that doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's it's bad timing because Yoda's advice would be applicable for Obi Wan, hmm. um, but it's not for Obi Wan. It's right. for Padme. Right. <laughs> That's the last thing Anakin needed to hear at that time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the, and, uh, I'm going to make another quick plug for Mike Chen's new novel brotherhood. Um, because yes! something that's awesomely explored in that novel is, um, Anakin again, struggling with what it means to be the chosen one. Um, and that gets explored a bit more in that novel in a really, really intelligent way. So again, 
check out Brotherhood. We are going to be doing a review of that in the next few weeks too. So, <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. What once we get through, uh, you know, the rush of Kenobi stuff and some of the other things we've got planned, we're going to hit Brotherhood sometime probably the, the second half of June because yeah, both Carl and I absolutely loved that book. Yeah, uh, and we we just are looking for an excuse to talk about it. So, right. um, <laughs> and if you love the prequels, it's the perfect novel to read. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what, go, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, and, and I'm going to kind of take us out from the story itself yeah. of why I love the prequels is the music. Oh, uh, yes. of the prequels um, <laughs> Carl is pumping his that, that was the uh, next thing I was going to say Woo. <laughs> yes um, I love the music from the original trilogies it's fantastic it's amazing but John Williams comes into the prequels and it feels like he's got something to prove because uh, he just kicks it all up a notch mm. um, and the music of the prequels is absolutely stunning and still is probably overall, if we're going trilogy by trilogy, my favorite trilogy musically. Mm. Um, so if we're, if we're just splitting it up by the three trilogies, I would say probably the prequels have my favorite music overall. The music so. in the prequel trilogy is so freaking good just i mean exactly like you said um you know in in and i love how different in a lot of ways it is from the originals um you know it, there is there is an emotion to the music of the prequels that i think is not in the originals um and i, I don't say that as a way of slamming the original music at all but i think it was more of like classical romanticism whereas we do get this really humanized fleshed out music for the prequels um with some of these scores and again you just you look at the big three themes right from one from each movie if you look at duel of the fates into across the stars into battle of the heroes right like they're all epic in a way that they're they're nothing like that quite exists in in the originals um and again this isn't about a, com a compare contrast one's better than the other it's all about taste especially when you talk about something subjective like music um mm -hmm. but i'm with you jason i think the music of the prequels is just so good i mean phantom menace when you especially if you've ever listened to the the two cd deluxe score i mean that music especially the second act of that movie it just slaps innocence it just slaps like this is just like peaceful, like safe music. It's so beautiful. Episode two is rife with this really romantic love theme coupled with a sense of mystery. And then episode three is just everything falls apart and the world cries, right? Like the amount yeah. of Greek choirs in, in Battle of the Heroes and other places in that movie. It's just like the audience in the galaxy at large just weep for everything that's falling apart. I mean, it's just brilliant music storytelling yeah it it's like it just went bigger you know star wars you know the original trilogy star wars empire strikes back return of the jedi big super big you know nothing like that had ever really been done on that scale before musically uh it it shattered expectations for for film score at its time um but the prequels just decided to go bigger um 
And I think part of that is because the prequels fit on sort of a Greek or Shakespearean tragic scale, which John Williams felt, in, in, in my opinion, and I think this is backed up by some of the interviews he's given, uh, felt deserved a more mythic and grand tone to the music. Um, and, and I think it was pulled off brilliantly. Uh, arguably, in some cases, the best part of the trilogy is the music. Um, but it's only that because it complements everything else, you know, in the films so perfectly. Um, so, yeah, I, I would, I would think that's probably one reason why it is a different feel than what we have in the original trilogy. Plus, you know, there's a different feel to the sequels as well. Uh, and, you know, each of the subsequent scores for the TV shows and standalone movies. So, yeah, man, the, I was listening to prequel music all afternoon today and it was del- delightful. <laughs> um, well, and I want to kind of pivot and, and stay outside this story in, in, in a sense. Um, because when I think of the star Wars prequel music, I also just think of the fact that every single soundtrack came out before the movie. Um, mm. And that was some, you know, that, that would, that's how it worked during the, the prequel era. Um, we had the toys before the movie. We had the novels before the movie and we had the music before the movie. Um, and there was something so awesome about that. Uh, you <laughs> know, so uh, um, I, I, I think I'm just going to wrap a big lasso around a couple of things I wanted to, to bring up because these are kind of divorced from the, the specifics of the story, but uh, and kind of like we said at the top of the show, you and I were both very young when episode one came out. Um, I mean, I wasn't very young, but I was young. We were young for the prequel trilogy. Mm. And, and in a sense, yes. this was our Star Wars, right? Um, not that yeah. the originals were never never ours. I mean, the original trilogy always felt like mine too as a kid, you know, long before, you know, I had any understanding of like toxic fandom. I just thought everybody that liked Star Wars, loved Star Wars and loved you for loving Star Wars. <laughs> um, exactly. You know, exactly. Unfortunately, I've now experienced episode three and I've seen the darker side of that, of the, of these realities, but be that as it may, when the prequels came out, I was living in those episode one times, Jason, I was just playing with Jar Jar and the, and the banks of Otto Gunga, you know, I was having a great time. And that was a thing about the prequel trilogy as well. And, and, and I, I, I imagine, and I also hope that this is true for any young person who grew up during the, the sequel trilogy. I hope that that will always be their star Wars because that was the one they experienced as a child. And hopefully they fell in love with it. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, I was deeply in love with stars before the prequels came out, but it, the prequels changed it because it was, it was my star Wars and it was something new to talk about. Um, with my cousins that I grew up loving Star Wars with. And there was just such a sense of this is for you now. This is your story. Um, and, and it felt quite explicitly, especially episode one and two, it, it really did feel like it was for kids, you know, not, not at the, not at the, uh, not like it wasn't available to adults as well, but it really was for kids in a way that, that episodes four and five, were less in less directly. So in some ways I would say, um, Mm -hmm. and, and I loved that about the prequel trilogy and I still love that about the prequel trilogy. So when I think about the prequel trilogy, 
I can't help but in a lot of ways be nostalgic in the same way that I know this is true of a lot of our friends who were who grew up with the originals, right? When you ask them to tell you stories about growing up at that time, you can you can almost see their eyes kind of gloss over and, and they become these binary sons and they just start reminiscing about the joys of what it was like growing up with those. And I feel like you ask people our age, Jason, or maybe a little bit younger even than us, you get kind of that same appeal when you talk to them about the prequels. And the thing that that grabs me and I apologize. I've been going on a long wind here. Um, but it, what grabs me is the fact that when those soundtracks came, I remember being so excited for each of those movies, the soundtrack would come out, the novel would come out, the toys would come out and I would put that music on in my headphones. I'd go outside and read star Wars books. I'd come inside and play with my new toys while listening to those new star Wars scores. So the prequels just, they made the world around me feel more like star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I'm right in the same vein as you are because I grew up with this trilogy, you know, and I mean that literally like the, as the, the movies got, you know, more in depth, more involved, uh, as the movies themselves matured through the trilogy, so did I, you know, and it, I don't think I could have been a more perfect age for these, these films um, as they came out, you know, 10, 13, 16, you know, as, as these movies came out, it, it was, it was near perfect for me to experience it because I did grow up with them and I, my world got bigger and more complicated as each new layer of this trilogy came out. Um, and, I, I distinctly remember that, um, remember those feelings and those kind of awakenings as, you know, my own personal reality kind of got bigger and weirder and more complicated in relation to the worlds that we were seeing in each of these movies as they came out. Um, so I definitely, uh, you know, resonate with that, that nostalgic aspect to these, these movies. And like you, I was just surrounded by music and toys and comics and books, and I couldn't get enough of it. I was just inhaling Star Wars twenty four seven, if that was possible, you know. Um, so it, it was, it was a magical time, you know, for me growing up. And uh, this is my trilogy because of that. Um, and and why one probably one of the strongest reasons I would say as to why I love the prequels mm. um, is because of how intricate and interwoven it was to my own growing up at that time. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I always love telling this story and I know I've told it a lot on the show and don't care, but just that first experience of seeing Phantom Menace in theaters been in line for a while, finally get in, get my seat, right? And the credits final or the the trailers finally start. And we'd been sitting in a you know, a dark theater for probably close to an hour and just somebody yells out, "The first transport is away." And the crowd went nuts, absolutely nuts. And like little, you know, 10-year-old Carl, nope, I wasn't 10, that was you. I I was 13. <laughs> I forgot how old I was, but like 13 year old Carl was like, 
oh my god, I'm I'm in Star Wars. <laughs> like I mean, it was right. just you could feel the force in that room, and I will never forget that memory till the day I die because it was so electric. Um, and again, I know this this is. This isn't specific to the prequel stories. This is just our own experience. You know, we could be telling something similar to this if we had grown up in the sequels with, you know, the, the, when Force Awakens just took the screen. Um, but this was the era we grew up in. Um, and yeah, like just to kind of to kind of surmise for myself, at least. I mean, I'm always going to love the prequels because they are just so creative. They are so fun. They are so imaginative and they are so human. Um, and I mm-hmm. think, right, the, 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 the biggest slam that the prequel trilogy often gets is that there's so much wooden dialogue, wooden characters, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I will admit there are certainly parts that are imp- I mean, every Star Wars movie is imperfect, except Empire Strikes Back. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, that's obviously my opinion. Um, but yes, there's definitely parts where they're like, I wish, yes, the acting could be a little bit better. The dialogue could have been written a little better. But be that as it may, it's such a human story about human beings struggling so hard to keep what is so good and innocent and pure alive. And it's being corrupted by which, by the way, I guess we should mention this, too. I'm sure this weighs in for you, Jason. The prequel trilogy also is so damn good because a guy named Palpatine. Yes, that was on my list. You know, (laughs) you can't talk about the prequels and not talk about just how brilliant Palpatine's story is in these movies. And, you know, everybody loves to talk about how Vader is probably the greatest villain in film history. I get it. Like, iconically speaking, sure, he looks so great. But I think one of the most manipulative, brilliant villains to have ever existed on film is Chancellor Palpatine from the Star Wars prequel trilogy. Yeah, 100%. Palpatine's plots, the plots of Palpatine, as as they... (laughs) unfold uh in in different ways throughout each of these movies and the way he's able to take advantage of them uh from both sides of the the situation you know as chancellor palpatine or as darth sidious you know he he's able to adjust and tweak and push and prod and you know coerce things this way and that way depending on what he wants and what he thinks will serve his ultimate ends. And the fact that the dark Lord of the Sith was able to work himself into the position of chancellor of the galactic Republic, sitting across the table from the Jedi Knights who were supposed to be able to sense and stop him and just have a casual conversation is remarkable for a villain to pull off. Uh, and work the order, the Jedi order into a, a hole that they cannot dig themselves out of until it is far, far too late. And by then it's like shooting fish in a barrel for him when order 66 runs, you know, comes around. So, uh, yeah, his plots and the way that they unfold both macro with the galaxy and the Jedi and micro with Anakin Skywalker, um, obviously mirroring each other the whole way through is remarkable. He, you know, despite the fact that he's the villain and we should hate him, but <laughs> we all love Palpatine. Come on. <laughs> he's so evil. It's great. 
I know. know. He's so delightfully evil and is, you know, my favorite cinematic villain of all time. And it will be very difficult for anyone or anything else to come close to knocking him off that pedestal. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And right in in his story in, in a way that I don't think we would have anticipated because it episode three is much more his movie than any, than the other two. I mean, Mm -hmm. he has so much screen time and, and, and rightfully so, uh, He's just so good. And, you know, I mean, we see this character for the first time really in Return of the Jedi. And we just see this crippled old man that's somehow the emperor of the universe. And then the prequels tell us how he got there. And I feel like that part of the story is just brilliant. The way he manipulates the Republic to becoming chancellor for far too long and then turning that into emperor because he creates a war and takes the protectors of the Republic and makes them the public enemy. Um, I mean, he's brilliant. He's terrifyingly brilliant. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Uh, And, and in such a way that no, that no one can really stop it, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's got so many different layers to it that even if somebody stops one of them, he's got two or three more that are just going to come over and accomplish the same thing that he wanted done in the first place so it, it's it's just a multi-layered animal that just sort of blankets the entire galaxy under his own whims uh and once he gets to the point of emperor he just kind of revels in it yeah <laughs> yes he does yes he does um so, oh my goodness, uh, were there any other big elements you wanted to bring up that that we didn't touch on? Um, as sort of a, an out of story thing, uh, we we touched on it briefly, just the toys, yeah. and stuff, and the the yeah. marketing, particularly with the Phantom Menace, <laughs> just yeah, I uh, you know that has to be mentioned because yes. uh, you know there was no other time like. 1999 leading up to the Phantom Menace, you could not escape it. Right. It was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as, and as much as I would say force awakens, you know, aimed for that. Uh, it, it, even that didn't quite come as close. Um, no. Yeah. It, it, and I think that's mainly just because coming into the original trilogy or coming out of the original trilogy, I mean, everybody for the most part loved that movie. Yes. There were some critiques of, of return of the Jedi back in 83 from some critics, but overall people just love that trilogy. So coming into the Phantom Menace, everyone was so excited for that backstory. Um, and I think again, like I, I don't know what I would have been like with the prequel trilogy. Had I grown up with the originals? Um, I don't know if I would have had some of the issues that some of the fans did in that time. I mean, Jason, you and I have been lucky enough to be friends with several folks over the years because of the show who grew up during those times who loved the prequels from day one, right? I don't think yes. you and I have ever known someone in our circles who didn't love the prequels from the get-go, um, who who were also original trilogy children, right? Um, but obviously there were a lot of them. And, you know, I, th- I, I just, I think something, again, to just, just 
what I love so much about these movies is that George was just so honest to his own vision. He knew the story he wanted to tell. Now, granted, that was an evolving story for him. Uh, you know, as mm-hmm. much as he likes to make things up and be like, well, I always had this figured out 30 years ago. No, you didn't, George. Like we have evidence that you did not <laughs> stop. Stop. <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, but be that as it may, when he committed to the story he wanted to tell, when he committed to, yes, I want to tell the story of a nine year old boy and his best friend. And one of the first champions of star Wars, Steven Spielberg said, I don't think that's a good idea. George, George just said, no, it's what I want to do. And Steven said, okay. Um, you know, like, and, and George was just so true to his vision and his vision was to tell the story of a good world falling apart and a good man falling apart. Um, and I think he just, he crushed it. Like he told the story he wanted to tell. And, and I love that about the prequels. Um, and George is a very different man when he made the prequels, you know, I mean, he's not a young auteur filmmaker anymore. He's a middle-aged man with children telling a story mm-hmm. for children. Yeah. Whilst while also raising said children, you know? So of course he's telling a different kind of story. Um and I I for one love the story he gave us. Yeah, absolutely 100%. And I love the stories that continue to be spawned mm. off of the prequels. You yeah. know, obviously that starts with the Clone Wars which takes place in the middle of the prequels. It then expands into Bad Batch yeah. and Rebels and now Kenobi in just a few days. You know, it's, and it's got reaches all the way into the ends of the sequel trilogy, you know, as we get Jedi from the prequels talking to Rey and Palpatine returning as this Sith re- resurrected, you know, uh, it, it, it continues to create waves throughout the star wars uh you know universe uh that might be bigger in some areas than the original trilogy Mm -hmm. you know it is so impactful and continues to ripple out and create new content based off of these these worlds these characters these stories uh and i i could not be happier to see that being the case and to see people come to enjoy and respect the prequels for what they are. They are imperfect. They are imperfect for sure, but it's my star Wars trilogy and I will always stand by them. Uh, warts and all um, looking at you, Watto. Uh, and the, the stories that continue to inspire and, and, create uh around them just makes me so very happy yeah yeah well you and i both my friend uh all right jason to close out just for fun because the prequels at their core are just fun uh Mm -hmm. i've i've prepared a couple just quick fun would you rather questions in the era of the prequels for you Uh, okay so all right you ready ready I feel like I can normally do better with these things, so they're not my best work, but we're going to give it a go. All right. Would you rather spend a week in Autogunga or Topoka City? Mm. Autogunga, because I can... uh, Because it's swimming and not getting rained on. Um, (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, Gungans. I like Gungans better than I like... 
Kaminoans. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Lamasu. Um, all right. Uh, I'm with you. I'm also going to say Autogunga mainly because, uh, yeah, really cool swimming, really neat fish. And uh, the fact that they have some sort of religious society, I want to know more about that. So I want to spend time with those people. Um, yeah, fair enough. Just be careful. Uh, some of those goober fish are a bit big. So, uh, <laughs> Well, there's always a bigger fish. That's very true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Would you rather have a squadron of clones at your command or a group of Gungan warriors? Ooh, uh, I, I'm going to go Gungan warriors just because... Uh, I'm, I'm not really a trooper guy, uh, and so I lean more towards the the gun and warriors. I think they're going to be more scrappy. The clones will be more, uh, uh, you know, disciplined and efficient. But I think the gungans are going to be more scrappy and creative. So I'm going <laughs> to go with the gungans. Uh, uh, I'm going with the clones, but only if they're clones of me. Um, <laughs> I just want a bunch of Carls running around. Um, oh, Carl, I don't know if we can handle more than one of you. That's a fair uh, point. Fair point. All right. Um, just putting that out there. But yeah. I, I but like your answer. All of those versions of Carl could be like different versions of me. This one's got a perm. This one has his hair dyed black. You know? <laughs> oh, man. All right. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Next one. Uh, w- would you rather ride a reek or a shack? Oh, uh, reek. I would like to ride a reek. Um there's just something about that giant tick butt that I just would rather <laughs> not ride. Uh, and the reeks are just cooler. Uh, it's, he's yeah. more, he's, he looks more like a dinosaur and I love dinosaurs. So uh, definitely the reek. That's not even a question. Yeah. Same here. It just looks way cool, way cooler. And now I like it even more because I've never noticed how much it is like a dinosaur in dinosaurs rock. Um, yes. All right. Would you rather train under Obi-Wan or Yoda? Ooh, 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 that's tough. I noticed you didn't put Qui-Gon in this, would you rather? Yeah, um, that's right. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, prequels. I think I'm going to go with Obi-Wan, actually. I just, I, I don't have like a solid reason, but I yeah. think I'm just, I'm leaning that way. Yeah. What um, about you? I'm going to go with Yoda. Uh, I just, okay. it just he's he's got the he's got the most wisdom of any Jedi living. So, yeah, I feel like he's he actually is a lot more malleable than people give him credit for. Um, I even think and this is yeah, this would be a fun thing for a, a topic on another day. But I actually think Yoda is not as much pinned is not as much the prequel era Jedi as we think he is. He's just he himself, I feel like, is limited by the system, too. Um, yes, 100 percent. I would agree with that. Um, okay. Would you rather surf on Camino or sunbathe on Mustafar? Surf on Camino. I, I also realize there's not really much sun on Mustafar. <laughs> it's all ash. You'd still, you'd still burn <laughs> yeah, on Mustafar. In a different way. <laughs> and, and I am so pasty white that I don't tan. I just burn. <laughs> and, uh, at least on Camino, there's no risk of getting a sunburn. Uh, so I, I'd say we're going to surf on Camino. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm going to surf on Camino too. No no question. That just sounds so fun to me. Um, <laughs> Do right. we, now, here's the question. Yeah. Is it surfboards or are we surfing on AWAS? Uh, oh, uh, I mean, I feel like AWAS makes it even easier to pick that. Um, yep, yep. We'll but they do don't that. surf. They really fly. So it's surfboards. That's true. 
So okay, yeah. Um, all right. Would you rather duel against Dooku or Maul? Oh, against? Yeah. Ooh, Dooku, just because I'd hope to pick up some of his skills. Uh, <laughs> and he's just my favorite out of those two. <laughs> I don't really have much else. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather duel Dooku, too, because I'm going to die against both of them. So I'd rather get like killed quickly because I feel like Dooku gives you the merciful kill, whereas Maul's a monster. So, yeah, I'd rather get I'd rather get like my head chopped off quick by Dooku than picked apart by Maul. <laughs> That's 100% fair. <laughs> um, all right. Here's a big one. Uh, this is my only big one, and hopefully it makes sense. Would you, rather have, would you rather have Anakin leave the Order to be with Padme or Obi-Wan help Anakin rescue Shmi? Ooh. I would say have Obi-Wan help Anakin rescue Shmi because if that happens – then Anakin doesn't... I don't think Anakin turns to the dark side. Um, and he and Padme can figure out something down the road mm. um, that doesn't involve her dying and him becoming Darth Vader. So I would say <laughs> Obi-Wan helping Anakin uh, to save his mother. Plus, we need to protect Shmi. Yeah. <laughs> What yeah, about you? Yeah, I, honestly, it was it was a toss up. I'm, I, but uh, I think I'm going to lean because of what you just said. I, think I, I lean harder towards the Obi Wan helping Anakin rescue Shmi. Uh, I just think it also changes their dynamic, especially in the context of imagine if Obi Wan. This is this would make a great. We need a Star Wars What If series. Um, but like, what, what if Anakin and Obi Wan went together during the events of Attack of the Clones? And and to help Shmi, you know, what if Obi-Wan was actively part of that? It it would dramatically change their relationship, which would also dramatically change in some ways why Anakin needs Padme. Right. Like, I do think he falls in love with her, but he right. I think it, go, it, be, it does become a little too much because he needs her rather than uh, love should never be based in need. Right. We should never need right. somebody um, in that way. Uh so, yeah, I think it just changes the dynamic so much if Obi-Wan had gone with Anakin. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, Absolutely. All right. Would you rather eat at Dex's Diner or from one of the street vendors on Mos Espa? Oh, Dex's Diner. Uh, I was about to say it's going to be cleaner, but I'm not sure that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> different kind of dirty. Um, but I I – I just I like the idea of a greasy spoon kind of diner situation. I've always enjoyed going into diners on like, you know, back highways and things like that. Uh, Route 66 goes through northern Arizona. I've been on there a couple times and there's some really fun diners out there. So, um, yeah, I definitely, definitely like the diner vibe. Yeah. Me too. I love diners. So actually when I was creating that, what would you rather? I was sitting on a blank for the uh, or because I was like, I don't know what else is as good as Dex's diner. <laughs> and like, and also <laughs> where else do we really see food being eaten in the prequels? Cause I, I was trying to keep this all in prequels. Cause I would, if, if it was out of the Moss Isley Cantina, you know, it'd be a little easier, but um, all right. Last one that I got is uh, would you rather hang out in the Naboo palace or the Jedi temple? Jedi temple. Um, I mean, they're both gorgeous and I would love to visit the Naboo palace, but Jedi temple, there's just so much going on. So many things to see and to learn. Definitely the Jedi temple. 
Yeah, uh, me I, too. I, <laughs> I could live there. So uh, I don't know if I could live there, all right. but I would definitely like to hang out there. Carl, I've got one for you. All right. Um, that I came up with while we were talking, uh, while doing these. Um, who would you rather have as a best friend? Jar Jar Binks or Dexter Jetster? Oh, uh, Dexter. No, no shade on <laughs> Jar Jar, but Dexter's a man of the galaxy. Like I love, I love the silliness and, 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 uh, goofiness of Jar Jar. Uh, but I think you can also be goofy and silly with Dex and there's a maturity to him. And again, this is not a slam on George. You know, I love him. Um, but yeah, Dex is just like, I love that he's a man of the galaxy who now just runs a diner. And by the way, we learn a bit more about Dex in Mike Chen's brotherhood. So you should read that book. Y'all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Dex is fantastic. Uh, but I'm never gonna leave my boy Jar Jar. I know uh, out there. So <laughs> tell you what, Jar Jar and I will come and eat at Dex's diner. Uh, that's for sure. Giddy um, up! You and Jar Jar can come hang with me and Dex at the diner. It'll be so much fun. Jar Jar will knock Wanda the serving droid over multiple times, and uh, we'll we'll make a day of it. That sounds like a plan to me. So <laughs> oh man, yeah. I think I know what my next commission for Joe for Joe Hogan's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> i like where i think your mind is going (laughs) (laughs) oh man that was fun that was amazing oh well yeah thank uh, you everyone for sticking around for this yeah and uh i I love i whenever i watch you know we had we had our friend jazz on the show with us uh at the start of our attack of the clone celebration to talk about the novel and, you know, Jazz lives over in Norway. So ever since the start of the pandemic, Jazz and I almost every week will just hop on on Discord for for a little bit and throw on a Star Wars movie and just catch up. And we inevitably do this all the time while we're watching. We'll do these would you rathers or fun games like that. Um, and uh, I was like, oh, this is always fun to do with Jason, too. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I you know, it, I, I hope you all had fun with us. And uh, to all of you who are listening, if you are on your way to celebration, safe travels, have a blast. Um, and uh, and if, if you're on your way home from celebration because maybe you need something for the plane ride home, we hope you had a great time at celebration uh, and, uh, and, and are bringing all that love for Star Wars home with you. And hopefully you share it with the world around you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you if you're listening to us and you get to go to celebration, feel free to drop us a line. Tell us some of the favorite your favorite things that you saw there, got to experience. We'd love to hear from you guys um, about about your experiences at celebration because you know Carl and I are both sitting here just a little bit. Well, not just a little bit. Quite jealous yes. of all of you guys going. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's the first. Ce- it's the first U.S. based celebration that we have missed since Celebration Six, and it feels really weird. Yeah, uh, not going. So yeah. Um, but I, but I, I also know you're going to have a blast at the Phoenix Comic Con, getting to lead some panels yeah. about all the stuff coming out on celebr at Celebration. So you kind of get to Definitely. be there vicariously through the Hollow Net. So <laughs> a little, yeah, a little bit. We're, we're like you know the the rural station picking up everything from the big stuff. So, um, <laughs> but uh, have a blast out there. We'll be back next week with some talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi because that's coming out in just a couple days. Uh, Carl, 
if people want to weigh in on any of the things that we talked about of why we love the prequels or just want to share why they love the prequels, where can people do that? Yeah, well, uh, we always love to hear what y'all love about the prequels. So you can let us know over on Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can even send us a message or comment on, on stuff on our Instagram, the Wampas Lair. And uh, you can always email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else before we close down this episode? I am good to go, my friend. Ready for Kenobi. Ready for Kenobi. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 469, Why We Love the Prequels. We love you. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampas Lair. <laughs>